Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast. The Sooners Extra Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Uh, I'm Ryan Aber, your host as always, here with Abby Bitterman and uh, also joined by Barry Trammell today. Uh, Barry, thanks for joining us. Glad to do it. Glad to do it. Always something to talk about. <laughs> yes, there is. And uh, we got a few things to talk about today, but we want to start off, Barry, with uh, the uh, departure of Jay Bullware to Texas. He officially accepted their special teams coordinator and tight ends coach's job over the weekend. Uh, what did you make of that? Well, I don't know the inside scoop. Don't claim to. Um, there's about three different scenarios that are like one of the three is likely one is you know jay's a ut grad for crying out loud he may have just wanted to go home uh that's always possible um seems the least likely to me because your job security would not be great uh tom herman i don't think is going to get fired next year but you never know i absolutely know that lincoln riley will not get fired and if he were to leave for the NFL, he would, uh, the Sooners very likely or usually do promote from within, so the staff would sort of stay intact. Um, another possibility is Texas just offered him more money. And OU just said, you know what, we've been paying coaches crazy, why don't you just go? We probably can't match. Or third, maybe Lincoln was uh, ready to make a move, a different a change there, and just told Jay, hey, if you get another opportunity, you might ought to take it. And he found one. So I don't know which of those three is, is most likely or, or, or what happened, but I suspect one of the three is probably what occurred. Yeah, actually, I think it's a sort of a, a combination of those. I don't think that Lincoln Riley was too broken up that Jay Bulware wound up going elsewhere. I, I think it would have been hard to see just straight out firing him, but certainly uh, – wasn't complaining that he got another opportunity. I don't know that he would have liked that opportunity to have been in Texas, but it worked out well for for Jay Bulware to to uh, be able to go to his alma mater and coach there. He's from Irving, but uh, Abby, what's the sense of what the Sooners do from here? Uh, I, I wrote about this in Sunday's paper that they have some flexibility with this spot now. Yeah, they have a couple options, like you wrote about. Um, I think they there are a few ways that they could go because like you you wrote about they have a lot of flexibility since um uh Shane Beamer has all that uh has all that uh experience in with special teams and has already been working on special teams and then they have Kale Gundy who's um worked with running backs and tight ends before but you know uh do you want to talk just a bit, uh, Ryan, about those guys that you that you suggested could fill that spot? Yeah, I mean, the two that really stand out to me are uh, DeMarco Murray, obviously the, the, the former star running back both at OU and in the NFL. He got into coaching a couple years ago. He's uh, – or uh, last year, I guess. He's the uh, running backs coach at uh, – I believe it's a running backs coach at Arizona, um, helping Kevin Sumlin, who was briefly – at Oklahoma when DeMarco Murray arrived. And then the other one I think is really intriguing to me, and that's Joey McGuire from Baylor. He was a high school coach at Cedar Hill down there where Charleston Rambo uh, starred 
is uh, but the year that Rambo's senior year is when uh, at the end of it is when Matt Rule got hired at Baylor. Matt Rule, one of his first hires uh, from outside of his core group of guys that he brought with him from Temple, was uh, Joy McGuire, and, and McGuire's coached a, a couple different places, coached on the defensive line, coached tight ends. But uh, his connections with Texas and Texas high school football, I think, would make him a, a really valuable piece. Uh, Barry, what do you think about uh, both of those options? But uh, first, start off talking a little bit about DeMarco Murray. Well, he's a fabulous player, one of the most underrated players in OU history. Um, and when I say that, I'm generally talking to myself because when I do my rankings, I often get criticized for ranking uh, DeMarco too low. And then when I think about it, I think, you know what, you're right. But I also don't know if he'd be a good candidate for Lincoln or not. He's just so inexperienced. I don't know that the Sooners, including Lincoln, have a sense of what kind of a coach, what kind of a commitment he has. Um, whereas Joey McGuire, I think, has proven his men our football team and much of the Baylor um, fan base wanted this guy to be the head coach when Matt Rule. Uh, to me, Joey McGuire is a lot more viable candidate. He's also perhaps ungettable because um, – you know, I, I think Dave Aranda is trying to keep him there in Waco. So you just you, you just don't know. But um, I, I I think McGuire is the guy you get if if you can if you can get him. But uh, yeah, I, I think Joey McGuire. If you're gonna if there's only one opening, you go for him. Um, uh, we'll see if there is any other movement there, though, because uh, I think if there is another spot open say if if Ruffin McNeil were to uh decide on a change there I don't think that's going to be something that's going to be dictated from from Lincoln Riley but if he decides to to change maybe they they go after both of those guys but I think it's going to be really intriguing to me uh Abby to watch the development of DeMarco Murray as a coach like Barry said a little bit ago we don't really know what he is yet as a coach and so many times it's hard for superstar type of players to uh, be coaches just because I think it's so hard for them to to talk to a normal non-superstar player and, and teach them how to do it when they're so gifted at it. I mean, we've seen that pretty much in every sport, but um, I, I'm, I'm going to be really intrigued to see the continued development of DeMarco Murray as a coach, whether it's in Norman or, or elsewhere. Yeah, and I think if you if you're looking at uh, bringing him to Norman, I think that you know with that dynamic that you just explained, it might be kind of helpful that he's already had some experience coaching, especially at a place like Arizona, not a place that's considered like a top program in the country. So you don't really see a lot of superstar running backs coming out of there, and so I think an experience like that can be helpful, especially when you're trying to turn a guy like that from a superstar into a coach and Barry if they do hire Joe McGuire what do you do with him I mean my thought would be the easy spot would be Shane Beamer as a special teams coordinator he's had so much experience with that and then maybe moving Cale Gundy back to running backs and putting uh the the uh the new guy at Joey McGuire 
with the the tight ends and uh, you know maybe having Shane ha- handle inside receivers as well. I think these types of assignments are sometimes overrated and overthought. Um, the most important thing by far when it comes to assistant coaches is uh, recruiting and also relationship with players no matter which position it is um, when you're talking about a defensive coordinator an offensive coordinator or maybe a quarterback coach you know that kind of stuff matters but you know the the uh, or, or even or offensive line but when you talk about running backs or or even linebackers or tight ends or inside receivers. Those things are largely interchangeable. And we saw that with Kale, you know, a few years ago when he switched. So uh, I think just whatever fits, and as long as they're, as long as they're pretty close to, oh, to uh, having the acumen at a certain position. You know, we saw that in the NFL. Uh, Raheem Morris switched sides of the ball here in the middle of the season uh, this year. So uh, these guys are capable of doing a whole lot. So I'd say just ever how it all fits together and then just shake it out. And I don't think it's terribly – you know, as long as Lincoln Riley's running the offense and Alex Grinch is running the defense, the rest of it is largely loose change. Yeah. So we're going to take a break there on the Sooners Extra podcast. We'll be back on the other side with more OU football talk. And then in our third and final segment, we'll get into some other sports at OU. Once again, the Sooners Extra podcast is presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with Abby Bitterman and Barry Trammell. Abby, it's been an interesting couple weeks for Oklahoma, especially on the defensive side of the ball. We talked about this a little bit in last week's podcast, but the uh, transfer portal additions continue to mount for the Sooners. Um, Is this a cause for alarm or just – sort of the price of doing business when you've got a second-year defensive coordinator? I think I would definitely say it's more the second one. I think that, um, you know, what what OU had on its defense obviously hasn't been working, and Alex Grinch tried to make it work with uh, the guys that were there, but the guys who you see entering the transfer portal are, I think, that names that obviously we know but I think OU fans have heard before but they haven't heard them in a while because they haven't really been making an impact and been being used especially on the defensive side Um, so I think it's not a huge surprise to see uh, a lot of guys entering the transfer portal but I was I thought it was more interesting the rate that they were doing it where it's it was sometimes like one or two guys a day were just were just going into the portal and so I thought that that's I think that that speed really made it also stick out a lot more. What about you, Barry? How uh, how big of a, a, a deal do you do you see this being? I don't think it's a big deal. Um, we tend to focus on the you know on the on the uh, high-profile transfers on the guys that come in and make a big impact 
Jalen Hurts being the Exhibit A. But the truth of the matter is, people all over the country in the last two, three years, four years, whatever, transfers are way up, and players are less and less likely to stick around when they're not playing as much as they want to. And that's true of every place, and that includes Oklahoma. So the idea that you know players should transfer into OU but should never transfer out of OU is just silly. So, of course, those guys, Mark Jackson and, and Levi Draper and people like that, are going to transfer out if their playing time seems, seems stunted. Here's the deal. Playing time is what people want the most. They want to play. They don't want to finish their careers having not played much. The, you know, the player who sticks around for four or five years and never really starts, that, that player is becoming less and less uh, abundant in college football or really college athletics. So, yeah, Really, the I only take... one I can think of lately has been was Arthur McGinnis a few years ago who didn't play yeah. much at OU. Yeah. But I think there was a lot of us that were surprised that he kept coming back because of that, because of the transfer numbers kept climbing up and up. Yeah, and here and and here's the deal, um, you know the some of this is, you know, the coaches telling guys, listen, we love you if you want to hang around, fine, but you're probably not going to play. And if you couldn't, you know, if, if you're a defensive player and you're not playing for Oklahoma now, you know, maybe they're not going to, maybe they're not going to upgrade recruiting, maybe they're not going to get better, but seems like maybe they will. So, if you're not playing now, I don't know why you'd think you'd be playing later. Yeah, especially as they make this transition. I think it's been most evident on the back end of the defense because of what Alex Grinch is looking for with size and speed and especially the the speed being sort of a a non-negotiable back there. I think that's a reason that we've seen a lot of these guys leave, and I I know there's been some – a little bit of controversy about it, but I think this is something that goes along with the transition, and we didn't see it a ton when Oklahoma made the offensive change. I think uh, a big part of that was because they happened to get Baker Mayfield sort of fall in their laps at that point, and it became a little bit easier of a transition. But on this defensive side, and Oklahoma's offensive recruiting wasn't uh, the issue. It was what they were doing offensively uh, in this system it's so much of uh, recruiting was such a big deal in addition to the scheme and everything else so when you've added that I think with the benefit of a season I think there's a lot of players who started to see hey maybe I don't fit in with what they're going to do I think there are some players who were told that maybe they don't fit in with what was going to happen at Oklahoma and maybe you might want to look elsewhere but it's going to be interesting to see what Oklahoma does here in the next couple of weeks to add to that because we talk about recruiting or we talk about these transfers, and, and yes, there were guys that I think a lot of us didn't expect to play next year or contribute much at all, but also the depth is going to be really, really thin in the spring uh, with just a, you know, a handful of those uh, 2020 signees and not the full class coming in, so depth is going to be an issue for sure. Yeah, that you know that could make for a bummer of a spring game. 
Yeah. Oh, you did such a great job last year making the spring game such a monumental Friday night event. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if that changes uh, what they can do. We'll have to see. It. Sooners have done a nice job of making the spring game fairly watchable, but uh, that's sort of a minor concern. Um, see a lot of walk-ons, but uh, and frankly, the depth could be. It, this could hurt the depth a little bit. I mean, if you're talking about a Mark Jackson, that's at least a guy that's played some. Yeah, I mean, he's you know, played he, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah if you run in, if you run into a situation. Yeah, if you run into a situation where you need a guy, you know, that you need, you got to run out there, you know, you could do worse. And now you don't have him. So it's not, I, I don't know that anybody's glad to see him go. But here's the deal everybody's going through this because this is not at all, this is not at all uh, a, a regional or just no you issue. This is a national situation. Everybody's doing this. And it's just the way it goes. The good news is the the early entry, you know, people graduating high school, enrolling in uh, in January, gives you a little bit of uh, relief on the depth issue in spring. That's that's the good news. Yeah, so we'll see uh, what that looks like, um, Abby. For you, who was maybe the 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 one person that did enter the transfer portal that? most surprised you um i would say uh just like barry said uh a minute ago that um mark jackson just because he has played like we've said um i can't there are so many names that i can't like (laughs) i'm trying to recall all of them right now to think if someone was more surprising but i think just because he is a guy that has played and doesn't um and has had good impacts and also i think it was um he had only played in like two or three games at one point and everyone i think at some point just assumed he was red shirting and that he would be back yeah, next I mean, year i remember like having that conversation before so i think that just because of that kind of that was surprising yeah you know i'd probably go with levi draper just because yes. of the expectations for him when he arrived, I think a lot of people expected him to be a, a, a pretty quick contributor there. Never really materialized, was hurt his first year that he redshirted, and then hasn't played a ton. Played a, a lot on special teams this year, primarily. I feel like every spring, his is a name that comes up, and people are like, This is he's gonna have a this is gonna be his year, <laughs> he's gonna have a great year. And then in the, the fall comes around, and you don't really see that. Yeah, I think just because he is a local guy and I think a lot of people really wanted him to succeed that maybe it was a little bit a little bit surprising that he pulled the trigger but at the same time he's gonna he's graduating so he's gonna have a couple years of eligibility remaining as a immediate eligibility as a uh, a graduate transfer so uh, it'll be interesting to see how everything works out for those guys I believe the only one who's announced where he's going if I'm not mistaken is uh, Troy James Heading to Prayer View A and M. If I'm not mistaken, everybody else has not made their decision. Is I know there was some talk with Levi Draper in Arkansas, but I don't think it was official. I don't, I don't think so either. I can't think of anyone besides him who has finalized their their decision. Yeah, what you said about Levi Draper and the Oklahoma connection is absolutely true. 
people know his name more people uh you know you, you hear high school legend stories that kind of thing i know i heard a lot of hype about levi draper and heck he might be a really good player but if he, if he was from sulfur springs texas or big spring texas or or uh you know charlotte north carolina people wouldn't even really register that he was gone because he played so little so uh, that's a whole lot of what it is, is, is the Oklahoma connection. Yeah, absolutely. But we're going to take a break there. We're going to be back uh, with some OU basketball and maybe some other sports talk. Uh, once again, this is the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. I'm Ryan Aber here with Abby Bitterman. Barry Trammell had to run. But, uh, Abby, we spent the first two segments talking about football. Let's talk about uh, the other sports. Really got to start off with men's basketball, though. Um, yep. A really good win for them on uh, Saturday, beating TCU by 20. And there's a lot of encouraging signs, I thought, in, in the loss to Baylor Obviously, you never want to lose, but the fact that they fought back after being down by, what was it, 12? Yeah. Uh, there in the second half, fought back and had a chance, had a shot that uh, to, to tie or win the game. It was a two-point game at that point, yeah, I believe, so that, yeah, so in the final seconds. Could have e- gone either way, yeah. tie or win. But uh, probably not the greatest shot that Austin Reeves had. It was Austin Reeves from yes, the corner, was, right? Yep. Um, but another fantastic game from Brady Manick. Mm-hmm. Um, You'd like to see more from Christian Doolittle and Austin Reeves, especially efficiency-wise. But uh, this bench is starting to look like it's got some pieces that can uh, can really make a difference. Yeah, for sure. And especially, you know, like you just mentioned, Christian Doolittle and Austin Reeves weren't super effective um, scoring-wise in the game. So... Brady Manick had another good game, but also the the production had to come from somewhere else because it wasn't coming from Doolittle and Reeves. So the bench and, you know, Davion Harmon and guys like that, they, I think, really kind of stepped up in the game. And uh, like you said, it's very, I would, I would say it's very encouraging, that loss, because, you know, they, they, by, they, did not come close to getting blown out uh it was they had a chance to win and it, it there baylor's the number one team in the country according to the ap poll so i, I mean think, i think to me it's pretty clear they're one of the top two. Oh yeah oh yeah to, to it looks like this year baylor and gonzaga are in that upper echelon mm-hmm. and it's really hard to make a case <laughs> for anybody else i would agree it's like three through 25 is I'll just sort of throw them into a pit and pick pick out of a hat. Just know that North Carolina won't be there. Yeah. Um, sorry, Brooke Pryor, <laughs> if you're listening. Uh, been a rough year for the Tar Heels. But I was really surprised by how how long it took for Christian Doolittle to kind of get going, especially because he's usually someone who, regardless of what's happening with everyone else in the first half, he's usually pretty solid, and I don't believe he had a point going into halftime no he, which he didn't was, score he, his first his first score came uh into the second half I yeah think. 
Yeah, and he, I mean, he finished with eight, and he, he did uh, get that steal that led to Austin Reeves having that shot, yeah. which uh, Lon Kruger was asked if that was the play he wanted, and he was like, well, we didn't get a chance to draw it up. It kind of just happened in transition, and he was kind of just happy that, uh, happy with the defensive effort that allowed that play to be possible. Yeah. And he was like, in that situation, you kind of take whatever you can get. Um, and it's not like it was an air ball or something. It did hit off the rim. Yeah. But there were just, I feel not like. Not quite yeah. uh, in rhythm. Yes. Yes. When it could have. The shot could have been better, or maybe even you could make a case that he could have driven toward the basket, or Davion Harmon could have kept going with it. But. Um, no, I, I think to me, Harmon's pass was the right move. Yeah. There, I mean, you've got a guy who has been consistently, and I know he struggled lately, but has been a really good three-point shooter. Especially That's late the in games. Shot that you want in the corner. I mean, it's the the the, the best three-point shot has is shown to be statistically a corner three. He had it. Yes, he wasn't you know in great rhythm or in great balance there, but. Um, you know, I, I thought that that was a good decision by Harmon. It was a really good defensive effort to get OU in that position. And also, Abby, I thought that uh, Christian Doolittle, although he didn't score, he had such an impact on that game in mm-hmm. other ways. And and you know, obviously scored a, a, a little bit in bunches there at the end with to finish with eight. But uh, he had eleven rebounds. That was yeah, the Doolittle most for OU on, on the rebounding defensively. I thought. Uh, was really good, and you've got to play really good defense against Baylor because you know that they're going to play really good defense against you. And it's been so interesting to see the change in this Baylor team and the ones that they've had in the past. In the past, they've had some really good defenses, but they've done it with uh, zone, and it's looked so different. Mm -hmm. Now they've got the athletes, and they're going with that man-to-man look, and it's been a bear for teams to put up with. Yeah, definitely, and you know, in the in the first 10 minutes of the game like ev- just everything was falling for OU but then Baylor's great defense like you mentioned started to kick in and they went from shooting 54% for the first 10 minutes to 35% for the whole game and and I think that once their defense got going then that allowed Baylor's offense to get going better and then Baylor started shooting better but I th- and I, I think that, and this is something that I know that Barry has uh, asked a bunch of coaches about and really been looking into, but that there's just a lot of good defense being played in Big 12 basketball right now, and it's leading to to lower scoring games. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that, that the defenses have gotten better in this league. Uh, Abby, let's transition a little bit into uh, another sport that I saw this weekend, or not this weekend, I guess, because it was Monday. Women's gymnastics. Yes. I love women's gymnastics. How? Where do we rank Maggie Nichols among OU athletes all time at this point? Among OU athletes all time. Well, I mean, first of all, I believe you tweeted it, so I don't want to get the number wrong, but how many perfect tens is she at now? Uh, I believe she hit number 19 on Monday. Okay. In her career, and which is it was like back to eight back ten. off of the uh, all-time high, which actually there's one person um, active ahead of her. Uh, UCLA gymnast has 
uh, either 19 or 20. I'm not sure. I didn't see what she did this weekend, but Mm -hmm. uh, she was one ahead of her going into uh, the other day. And she got back-to-back 10s on On the vault. vault, Yes. Which her her vault vault routine is very, very good. Yeah, that's fair to say. Yes. Um, I don't, I mean... Against like all the athletes OU has ever had, yeah, I feel like that's a really hard question because OU has had some well, incredible is, athletes. Why we're bringing it but up? But I don't know. I mean, I feel like you would have to just in my mind. I would rank her pretty high just because of everything that she has done at OU, the things she's had to overcome, um, and just how consistent her performance has been. Yeah, I mean, the mind-blowing thing to me, and this is what I wrote about in Tuesday's Oklahoman, only seven gymnasts have posted a 39-9 score. Uh, and that's since the this scoring format uh, was brought, which was at least 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And only seven gymnasts have done it. Uh, nobody's done it more than once except for Maggie Nichols. She's done it four times. So wow. to, to post at least a 39-9 four times during her career, one of them was Monday against Arkansas, which came just 48 hours after another meet, or 72 hours actually, after another meet, is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd put her up there. Um, I think she's a top female athlete uh, all time at OU. I, I would say that she uh, probably knocked off Lauren Chamberlain off that uh, number one spot, which is pretty incredible because Lauren Chamberlain was fantastic, although she still got a heck of an argument as well. I think just the consistency at which Maggie Nichols has done things that nobody else has done, not only at OU but in college gymnastics, has been incredible. Also, I think just because of how hard gymnastics is as a sport, like – I have I've played basketball, volleyball, softball. I ha I my body can't even fathom how to do some of the things that Maggie Nichols does. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable to see what she's able to do across all the events. I mean the the vault is always the one that sort of uh stands out to me just because of how quickly you have to be able to manage mm-hmm. all that stuff. The balance beam is also incredible. Uh, to be able to do that um, with that little margin for error. Um, Floor is always fantastic to watch, but um, Maggie Nichols has been unbelievable, and I think she's going to continue to be unbelievable. Uh, but And it was a good crowd on Monday, I thought, um, to have, I think it was right around 4,400 there, um, the biggest home opener that they've ever had um, pretty significantly. Um, it looked fuller than what I thought 4,400 would look like. I think that's uh, attributable to the new layout there with the the shorter curtain at one end versus a long curtain that took out, uh, you know, about 40% of the lower bowl from from being able to be used. I I think having more people up close made it a much better atmosphere Mm -hmm. at Lloyd Noble Center, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes as the year goes on because OU is number one. They've got Maggie Nichols who – is one of the stars of uh, gymnastics, period, not just college gymnastics. 
And then you've also got Reagan Smith, who could be even better when yeah. it's all said and done, which is pretty incredible, just coming off an, an elite career of her own, So, who was an alternate on the 2016 Olympic team. So I think people are going to want to go see this group compete. And I'm interested to see what their crowds are like. They don't have a UCLA coming this year, so they don't have that mark, one marquee meet that you'll circle and say, we've got to go to this. But I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to come out and watch this team uh, perform. Yeah, I think that, you know, regardless of, like, not having that marquee matchup, like you said, I think that, I mean, I want to go watch some OU gymnastics. I, I think that no matter who they're competing against, the level of athletes that OU has on its, on its team is, is worth the watching no matter no matter who they're going against yeah no doubt about it so they they uh are are on the road this weekend down to dallas but then they'll be back i believe it's the the following friday to take on iowa state their home should be a good one but uh it, it would expect ou to be undefeated uh coming out of that one as well so we'll see what happens but we're going to wrap up this edition of the sooners extra podcast the sooners extra podcast as always is brought to you by zaxby's the home of handmade to order chicken salads and more than a dozen mild to wild sauces stop by your neighborhood zaxby's today once again i'm ryan aber you can reach me r-a-b-e-r at oklahoman.com or on twitter at r-y-a-b-e-r abby I'm Abby Bitterman, and you can uh, find me on Twitter at Abby underscore Bitterman, or you can always reach me through e- email, abitterman at oklahoman.com. And you can read our work every day at oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere.